emotional content, the emotional factor, is something that we've got to bring back into an enjoyment. We've got to de-stress the body and allow the physical stress to start to melt. And once we can start to clear it, it's amazing how the tissues start to respond. That was Ian O'Dwyer, and this is the Running On Home podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I want everyone to listening to know that you don't need to be a runner or a yogi to listen to this podcast and be a part of the Running On Om tribe. But instead, people who run on Om are individuals who live with a connection to mind, body, and spirit in all that they do. This podcast features wellness pioneers who run on Om every day, and I believe that the stories of these people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. Today, I have an extraordinary guest on for all of you. I met Ian this past July at a movement mentorship taught by the anatomy teacher extraordinaire Tom Myers, whose name you might recognize since he was on the Running on Home podcast two episodes ago, number 139 to be exact. Definitely check out my conversation with Tom on developing body intelligence. It's pretty neat and deep stuff. Like Tom, Ian has also devoted his life to helping people move better. Ian lives and works in Australia as the director of OD on Movement, a company that focuses on helping clients achieve optimal results in movement. Whether they be Australia's top triathletes like Miranda Carfrey and her husband Timothy O'Donnell, or working with children who may have chronic illness, Ian brings a lifetime of experience to all his clients. As a performance movement specialist, for Ian, it's not just about getting his clients a hard workout, but instead he focuses on the emotional factor of the physical experience, how important it is to de-stress the body, the tissues, and the mind so that his clients and all of you listening can perform better in your life, your sport, and really whatever you do. This conversation will give you a deeper understanding of how you can perform better, but also be less stressed when doing it. Before we get into today's conversation with Ian, I want to let all of you know that over the past month, I've really been blown away by all of you. Running on Ohm had its two-year birthday, and the words of encouragement and how this podcast is inspiring your life have touched me so deeply and make me so excited for what's to come. If the podcast has been a part of your life in any way, maybe you've tuned in to all 142 podcasts, or maybe this is your first time listening. Head to iTunes and leave a star rating or written view of the podcast. It would not only make my day, but also help increase the Running on Own podcast visibility in the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. Reach out and let me know if you tuned in and what you thought about Ian's story. Let's dive deep in today's conversation with Ian O'Dwyer. So how long are you in Maine for? Um, I leave Monday morning, Monday afternoon, so we'll go to Orlando, up to see Chuck Wolf for three or four days, um, and we'll see Darcy Birdie at the University of Florida, um, and then uh, off to San Francisco for about four days, and then home. Wow, that's kind of, that's quite a whirlwind. So it's London, Portland, Maine, Orlando, Florida, San Francisco, home. And is traveling a big part of your life right now? Um, it has been a huge part of my life, and recently we've just I've tapered it off to actually get what I wanted to have choice in doing rather than having to do. So that's what we're really after. We just want to be able to say, okay, because traveling is not a healthy environment for anyone. Sitting in planes, being in strange beds, eating different food, you know, missing your family, and 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 not being able to just have your time. You know, so it's it's an interesting one because you start to sort of really 
you know, you crave three weeks. Uh, once upon a time, three weeks was just a normal, but now three weeks is uh, is a long time. So, yeah. And you have a baby, and I imagine in three mm. weeks a lot changes. Oh gosh, and, and she's asking, you know. Rochelle's saying she's just looking for you and she can't find you and she's on Skype and all of a sudden she's seeing daddy but she can't cuddle daddy and all that sort of stuff. So it's, quite, it, it's, it's an interesting observation to see how they react when, when you're not there. Yeah, mm. very much so. Now let's just back up in time. What is your movement background? I mean, the work you do today is so connected to mind, body, spirit through movement. But when were you in your body, or when do you remember your first memories of being embodied? I guess, Julia, when we still just start to talk about memories and we start to play on what the childhood brought us, we tend to, you know, a lot of times we tend to block things out. And I guess for me, I was always connected because of the fact that we had animals. So, you know, having horses was just something that you could not be disconnected with because of the fact if you weren't present then they suffered and they let you know so from a very young age and then the interesting thing there's of course you go and play a, in a semi-professional sport and we played lots of sports but got into Aussie rules which was a high running game highly skilled game very physical game and from there I received a lot of injuries for you know under recovering and repetitive movement and, and what I call dumb dumb strength work and that was interesting because that was probably the start of the disconnect because what we did naturally as children what we did naturally as a family now we're starting to become unnatural because we were being told how to move when to move and what to do when things happened if, if it wasn't the right movement so it wasn't really until about I would say 2000 and Five, 2000, 1999 I bought my business from a guy called Richard Boyd who he was the uh, co-founder and owner of personal training on the net and Richard and I were friends and his vision was to create uh, an educational website and it finished up being the largest in the world at the time and what that meant was that I got an opportunity in 2002 to travel to the States for the very first time so I was a country person and uh, you can imagine me going to you know, Las Vegas, coming from a population of you know, 40,000 people. So it was, quite a, uh, it was quite an experience. But what Richard could see was that I wasn't doing the typical personal training or going down the personal training route. And for me, what we were doing as far as conditioning our bodies went was just that. We were conditioning the body. We weren't conditioning the being. So for me, there had to be more fun involved. There had to be a connectedness. There had to be an enjoyment factor. There had to be the ability to laugh and breathe. And there had to be the ability to, to touch and to hug. And it's interesting because they're all components of what my passion and what my sport have been over the years. Yet when it came into what we thought was healthy living, you know, health and fitness, we went right away from those components. And we started to segment and break down how we you know, thought we made the body strong and fit and healthy. And it's not separated. Can't separate it. And that's that's the really cool thing because upon that journey of, of going to the States, Richard and a guy called Michelle Delcourt who invented Viper and we were on the road for probably five years together, pretty much full time. We were doing stuff all, all over the States, through Europe, through Asia, 
Uh, and it was it was pretty powerful, but we were learning a lot along the way. You know what our philosophies were and, and where we were going, and the influence that we had of, of a lot of amazing people. And it wasn't until probably 2006 where I started to discover Tom Iyer's work. And and Tom, for me, I hadn't met the guy at that stage, but just the way his view of the body allowed us to say, okay, there isn't a segment here. This is actually a continuum. This is actually an integrated unit. This is actually something that's everything. So in 2008, uh, Personal Training Net created a, a an occasion, I'll, I'll call it, it was called the Meeting of the Minds, and there was 22 of the world's best presenters given 20 minutes each to present with no ego. So there was no bagging anyone, there was no running anyone down, it was purely to speak on their philosophy. And I was lucky, I got a gig, I was number 23, I, I wasn't one of the best in the world at the time, and I sincerely mean that, but very fortunate because of the relationship with personal training on the net. So you had guys like Chuck Wolf and Tom Myers and you had Tom Purvis and um, Paul Check and Charles Pollock and people who in our industry were amazing, amazing people who were getting great results. But it's interesting because we all have perspectives of what these people did. And it wasn't until we were all in the same room that we actually got to understand what each person's role was. So I met Tom at that and, and I created a presentation and it's pretty intimidating because once again as I said you know you've traveled a lot from 2002 to 2008 and you've accumulated knowledge but you still I still felt at that time I hadn't arrived I still felt at that time that I was still a very small fish in a very big sea and after my presentation my presentation included basically five two-minute clips and I spoke to words like enjoyment, like connection, like trust. And the videos reflected various clients training together, moving together, being challenged in various types of manners. But it was in a small 100 square meter, 300 square feet room with very little equipment. We used all sorts of body contact, balloons. We had some traditional movement factors, but it was incorporated. And Tom walked up and said to me, here's my card, you've got the gyms of the future, and if you need anything, please contact me. So for me, that was just, wow, that was, I'm getting somewhere, I'm actually making a difference. And from there on, Tom and I have, from afar, worked towards getting together, and, and you know, he could appreciate what I was doing, which was just lovely. And then in 2014, we finally got to work together in Sydney, Australia. And that was pretty amazing, because... Tom and I had never presented together. It was a three-day event. There was physios, chiros, osteos, personal trainers, massage therapists, uh, movement coaches, all sorts of people there. And it was interesting because of the fact that it was purely from the moment we sat down to have breakfast on the very first day to the final dinner on the third day, we never stopped talking and laughing and sharing and jamming. And, and that's all it was. It was a big play session for us. There's a brotherhood between you two. Yeah, it's it, it's a pretty unique it's a pretty unique situation to be in, and I feel like all of us. I feel that what happens initially when you get into this industry, there's a lot of ego, a lot of ego. You know, we've all been immersed and surrounded by people who are incredibly intelligent, and I think I feel more so than anything is that what happens initially is that people have to try and protect their IP and try and protect their knowledge 
because of the fact that who do you trust and, and who's going to pinch it and are they going to blow it up and are they going to you know do certain things that you don't want to see happen to it. But what I feel now as it's happening in the industry is there's a lot more camaraderie, there's a lot more sharing, there's a lot more understanding that we really don't know much. But if we can combine what I know with a little bit of what Tom knows and then combine that with a little bit of Michelle Delcourt or Anthony Carey or Chuck Wolf or whoever the persons may be that we work within our environment, then all of a sudden the people are given permission to evolve what we do. So therefore they start to have authenticity because that's the biggest thing I feel that our industry lacks is authenticity. People take other people's stuff and just regurgitate it. But if we can start to take information, but more importantly take application, because it's the outcomes and the solutions that people really want. It's not the information as such. As you and I both know, we've, we've learned and shared some amazing information in the last two or three days. However, if people don't act upon that, if they haven't got the courage to act upon that, they can never own it. And if they can't own it, they can't experience the outcomes, whether the outcomes were, were a positive or a negative. That's irrelevant. Because if something isn't quite right, all that's really saying to you is, okay, let's get to the other end of the continuum that I've just given that person or yourself. So realistically, it's an organic way of saying, okay, I'm going to take something and give it to my client of what I see, of what I feel. If that's something I give them allows their body to react in a certain manner, I'll know whether, and normally I'll say to my client, how does that feel? And they'll either say, wow, that feels great, or... Yeah, I didn't really feel much, or, nah, I don't really feel like I'm any, okay, let's do this. So what they're really doing is taking ownership of what you're giving them. And as soon as they take ownership, what you're empowering them to do now is that when you're not with them, now they start to reconnect with them. Because there's two types of relationships here we've got to look at. There's an interrelationship. There's a you and me relationship and how do we get on and, and is there trust and is there honesty and is there the, the discipline and is there the, the, the determination to get the outcomes that that person wants. But more importantly, there's an interrelationship. And do the same components apply to the person that they're talking to, which is themselves? And I feel that's where we really have this big disconnect now because we've become conditioned that someone else will get us our results and the funny thing is you know whether someone comes in for lean body mass or they come in for pain and discomfort or whether they come in for uh, weight loss or whether they come in for sports specificity we're being conditioned that the person in front of them is going to allow them to get that because they're going to give it to them because I'm paying a fee to that person so they're going to give it to them when realistically if we think about what life really is all about, we've got all the answers. Intrinsically, we know the right answers. We know the answers that can allow success, but no one's given us permission. Well, and we are our own biggest limiter to realizing our potential, I think, sometimes. So why do you think that is? Fear. Fear, absolutely. Expectation. You know, we, we have this we have this grandiose picture that I feel most people want to experience. 
And because of the expectation, if it's not the perfect picture, we don't enjoy the journey to the experience. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I come from a racing background, a horse racing background, and, and it's a bit like having a horse that wins a race. And I've had horses with lots of people, and it's interesting because whether they're elite sportsmen, successful business persons, or whether they're just the battler in the street, when you have a horse that wins a race, you have no control. You are completely at the elements of the person on the horse and the horse. So the emotion that you've built through owning the horse and touching the horse and feeling the horse and what, going to watch it race just builds and builds and builds and builds. But what's interesting is I've been in horses where I've had them myself. And that journey to get to that win has, has been nowhere near as satisfying as when I've had people along the way to share it with. So it's been the journey that's created the, the really the, the joy of, of the winning. It hasn't been winning the race itself. It's the process of connection. Correct. Absolutely correct. And it's, that's the beautiful thing. We've experienced in this last couple of days, you know, we're, we're here on Tom's Immersion and we have a horse and we have, you know, rabbits and we have animals. And it's interesting when you bring an animal into the environment of intelligent, energetic people, how it changes the whole energy. So it's interesting because we all tend to let our guards down with an animal. We do. We don't become defensive. An animal allows us to breathe again. There's a tenderness in mm. animals that people can forget about in our modern worlds. Yeah. So it's, it's, for me, that's an interesting perspective because what does that tell us about? Because we're nothing more than pack animals. We're nothing more than, we're no different to a horse. But a horse and a pack of horses has a set of rules. And those rules don't, they don't get blinded. They don't get smudged. If you show disrespect, you get pushed out of the pack. If you become a part of the pack that is a natural leader and, and has respect and, and creates this safe environment, you become a leader of the pack. Yet in our environment as a human being now, we sort of smudge those rules and we allow people who don't show the respect or or don't have the ability to be honest, or don't want to necessarily be part of a team, we allow them to still stay in our pack. And of course, what that creates then is almost like an infestation of disrespect, of, you know, of dislove. And it's, you just think, why do we do that? You know, there's probably the biggest thing for me in life is that there's no right, no wrong. I feel that we prejudice our children and our society by saying something's right and something's wrong. And the reason I say that is because as soon as we put a right or a wrong stamp on it, there's someone else that we, we now have to fight. So if I make a decision and I make a statement and I say you're wrong, well straight away that puts me on the higher end of the hierarchy. So life isn't about having above and below hierarchy, it's about having side by side because we're all equal. We all have the same manner of flesh and bones and nerves and muscles and all sorts of things in the body. But unfortunately, our expectations drive us into this change of position where people tend to become more dominant or want to become more dominant. And as soon as you get people into that situation, I've found disconnection starts almost instantaneously because they go away from listening to their intuition, to their gut, and they now start to strategize 
from a cognitive perspective. And that cognitive perspective really starts to create that disconnection because when we start talking about connection, we're really talking about the subconscious. We're talking about how do we get our innermost being of, as you say, our spirit, our physical, our mental, our emotional, to connect, to, to, to blend together to create the optimal outcome of health and happiness, fitness, wealth, love, whatever your goal or goals may be, to create that outcome. And as soon as we have that, that cognitive drive to have an expectation that may or may not eventuate, and we forget the journey, we really then start to fragment. Yeah. And you work a lot with people who, as you said, have so many different goals, whether it be weight loss, pain, athletic performance. What do you find is the inhibitor to some of these people realizing their goals? Do you think it's that disconnection which you've spoken to? Yeah, I, I would say that most people who, who struggle to get to their, their aspiration, and let's call it an aspiration because I, I feel goals... It's an end destination, which yeah, is not, yeah. as what we just said, there's no ultimatums. So that, what, what do they aspire to over a period of time, but more importantly, what do they aspire to today? Because the environmental effects, the environmental factors are the important key elements that affect nutrition, hydration, movement, rest and recovery, and emotion. Those five environmental effect, effects happen on a daily basis and will affect exactly how I'm feeling, moving, reacting, thinking, loving, hugging. They will affect everything. Yet, to get to your aspiration your outcome, if we don't take those into account, how can we progress you forward? For instance, if I want to move someone, if I don't know when they've eaten or what they've eaten, if I don't know if they're hydrated or if they have hydrated, what have they hydrated with? Has it been a sugary drink? Has it been a salty drink? Has it been a caffeine or, or a, a dietetic type situation? Has it, you know, have they rested? Because if they haven't slept well, all of a sudden now, I go and put force into their body and they've already got an inflammation starting to take place because the tissues are saying, I need more rest. So the more force that I put into the body, now the more opportunity I have of creating more inflammation, which means I'm going to break down tissue, I'm going to deplete the immune system, I'm going to start to affect the hormonal system incredibly and not in a good manner. And that's only three of a number of systems. So, you know, when you start looking at you know, whether it's an elderly person who's bone on bone or having a knee operation or a knee replacement or a hip replacement, whether it's an elite athlete who's racing at the very, very elite professional games, Olympic games or World Cup um, level, whether it's a child who is at school and is struggling to learn. And that's an interesting one because when we start to look at children and we take them and put them in an environment that the majority of children aren't comfortable with, We've got to start to understand what are their environmental effects. A lot of kids don't eat breakfast. So straight away, the old brain matter, it's not being fed what it needs to be stimulated. They haven't hydrated, and if they have, it's been something that's been sugary. So straight away, I've got a spike in the insulin, and, and you know what's going to happen after that. More importantly, kids need sleep. But what do we have now with all the stimulation of social media and, and the toys and the computers and iPads? And a lot of these kids are going to sleep with these toys, with these tools, beside their bed. 
and they're awake till 9 or 10 o'clock or even later. So in that important time that we need to sleep pre 1 o'clock, pre 2 o'clock to get the physical to heal, well, we need the same amount of sleep 2 o'clock onwards, 1 o'clock onwards to get the emotional to heal. So no wonder our kids, when they go to school, can't get the results that they want because we haven't structured or set up what they need to achieve that success. So it's interesting because we talk about elite athletes and you and I have both had the opportunity and the privilege to work with elite athletes. I get really passionate about the other end now, about the children. because well, And of, your father. And I'm a father, <laughs> that's exactly right. But even more so, if we can change them, we can change the, the world yeah. and the culture. Being from Australia and having spent now a lot of time working in the US, do you see big cultural differences in the phenomena you're discussing or is it really in the modern world? This is epidemic. I, I feel it's just the modern world. I mean, you've only got to go to the eastern countries to see now they're becoming very westernized. You know, they see as what we have as being what everyone should have. And it's really sad because what are you seeing people like us doing? wanting to go back to the Eastern philosophy of peacefulness and, and slowing time and having breath and, and moving in a manner that creates health, creates wellness, creates that ability to be able to emotionally take on anything and, and still smile. And in this day and age, life's just busy, life's just fast. You know, I've just come from New York to here. It's like going from, you know, a buzz box into the most peaceful place you can imagine about. And both places are very beautiful, but my my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul now says, I can stay there for a little while, but I need to come over here for a longer time just to help the healing process, just to help me to recover, regenerate, and to, ha and to have vitality again. Because without those three components, I can't then have the privilege of successfully guiding my clients into their aspirations. And you work with a lot of different types of clients. I know some of the listeners out there are triathletes, mm -hmm. so they may be interested in hearing a little bit about some of the triathletes you've worked with. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. It's um, it's interesting because there's a there's a lady called Erin Carlson in in, uh, in Boulder, and Erin's a, a great coach, lovely lady. And uh, I'm, I'm a co-founder of a company called PTA Global, which is a a development company of, of leaders for the fitness industry and it's it's been great because Erin's been in a mentoring role through PTA Global and she's a great a great leader herself so our connection has enabled me to have access to clients that she has in Boulder so you know this year we had Siri uh, Lindley come across and we had Paula Finlay and, and Ali Soldhouse um, Marina Carfrey and Timmy O'Donnell we've, we've, we've worked with them this year so it's it's been great because, you know, Siri's just such a beautiful person. Her athletes are exactly the same way. And, you know, Flick Abrams, all these people, and it's been funny because there's been quite a few Australian girls who have come back, and it's kind of funny because they've, they've had to go out of the country and come back into the country, and it's, it's kind of cool, but they don't have anything different to what we have. You know, they train extremely hard. They're very smart because Siri's a great leader in, in, in how she really communicates and cares for her, for her, her clients or for her athletes. But the emotional stress they're under is phenomenal because when you look at any athlete, the biggest fear you have is not being able to fulfill your aspiration. So managing an elite athlete, whether it be a triathlete, whether it be an Olympic rower, whether it be an Aussie rules footballer, whether it be a distance runner, 
or whether it's a child who's going to school who's struggling to learn because of all the things we spoke about, the emotional content, the emotional factor is something that we've got to bring back into an enjoyment. We've got to de-stress the body and allow the physical stress to start to melt. And once we can start to clear it, it's amazing how the tissues start to respond. And it was kind of funny, I, I was speaking to Rini um, Carfrey just before she went back to Bolton. And the way I coach is, is very different. I'm big into recovery and, and, you know, we use whole body vibration a lot, and, you know, various types of tools. And it was quite funny because I said to Rini, how are you, how are you finding training? And Rini's just a lovely lady. And she said, oh, Dee, it's, it's kind of funny. She said, I walk out of here thinking, I haven't done much. But she said, my tissues when I'm, when I'm running and riding and swimming are just feeling fantastic. So it kind of makes sense because from my background, the way we conditioned horses is very different to the way we conditioned athletes. We didn't overtrain or more importantly, under recover a horse. And yet you look at the size of a horse, you know, if it's an endurance horse, they're beautiful and long and, and sleek. If they're a sprinter, they're big and strong and powerful. No different to a human. But we have this, we have this thought process, this, this belief mechanism that more is best, big is best. You know, we've got to put what we call junk miles into the legs. We've got to put junk movement into their body. And all we're really doing is emotionally breaking people down so that when it gets to the crucial time of having to make a decision, because when I talk about emotion, I'm not just talking about people who just burst into tears for no reason. I'm talking about how do we allow a person to make a critical decision under the most duress and allow that decision to be a comfortable position to be in. Because we all know it hurts. And when it hurts, that's when I want to see a person make a decision that is positive to them. But if we don't, and if we can't condition them to get there and allow that decision to be made, then we're really starting to fail our clients. And a lot of times you'll see people in races will get to that, to that position and because they've under-recovered, the tissue on all levels, and as you and I both know, we, we talk about tissues, we talk about nerve, muscle, bone, let's have we've looked at the body, and now we're getting into connective tissue. Well, we sort of go a few steps further. We talk about blood, we talk about lymph, we talk about epithelial tissue, because without the skin, without blood, and without the lymph, you try and be an athlete. Your waste products don't get delivered, your energy, your hormones, your oxygen doesn't get delivered or taken away. And at the end of the day, if this skin can't take the pressure, if it can't sustain a pressure for all of this amazing stuff underneath the skin to now have this tensegrity feeling, to have this ability to be able to separate and then mitigate the stress, we've got problems. And they're, they're areas we really overlook. And, and the way that they really blossom is through healing, is through recovery. And so when you look at someone like Miranda Carefree, what you're speaking to is in those moments in Kona and those decision moments where she probably has to really dig into the well in a race mm -hmm. and go to a place that's really challenging where to get a top finish. Mm -hmm. If she has not rested, as if what you're saying, she's not allowed that emotional, physical recovery to happen, she won't be able to realize her true potential. Her true potential. Yeah. And so the recovery is where you're speaking to the strength actually builds. It's, it's interesting because, as always, science starts to come out after what we do. 
and that's not a, that's not a criticism. It's just it takes so much time, and there's so many critiques that they've got to put into an environment to get these test results. But what we've seen for many years through observation, through understanding connection, and through not just verbal communication, but also the ability to be able to listen, to touch, to smell, these are all senses that make a good coach because it starts to give you a lot of feedback about the person in front of you. If the tissues are starting to burn out, you'll notice movement, you'll also notice temperament, you'll also notice tension, but more importantly, you'll notice that there's nothing in the well. So, you know, athletes, we have an interesting concept that wellness and fitness are the same thing. Most athletes are not well. They are bordering on massive breakdowns, mentally, physically, emotionally. So what we've got to try and do is make sure that along that line, they don't drop below the line. Because as soon as they drop below the line, all of a sudden, all the systems get affected. And how many times have you seen athletes and they train for one day in a whole preparation and two days out, they get the flu or they get a cold or they get glandular fever or whatever. We've pushed them too close to that line. They've redlined. They've redlined and then all of a sudden they've dropped below the line and you can't get them back. So we've got to almost have them just a little bit underdone because we know that you'll find around about 20% more through simple adrenaline through simply racing. So if we know physically the tissue's healthy, if we know mentally that the work that I've done will sustain the outcome that I want, and if we know emotionally that I've got some petrol in the tank because I know through the knowledge, the clarity, the confidence of what I've done, the people I have who've prepared me, that when it comes D-Day, when it comes decision time, and when it comes to hurt, they're all manageable because I've prepared in a manner that my body, heart, soul, brain are all at ease. And that's something you'll see a lot of athletes, when they hurt, the good athletes, they hurt, but they don't hurt in fear. They hurt in love. They know what's gonna come. The athletes who have been pushed, battered, bullied, whatever term you wanna make it, you'll see them hurt and you'll start to see the fear You'll see the fear change their stride. You'll see the fear change their breathing pattern. You'll see the fear change their posture. But more importantly, you'll see fear change their face. That's the biggest assessment or an appraisal you can look at anyone under duress. What's happening up here in the face? It tells you everything. It's pretty cool. It's amazing work you do. And what's incredible to me is that you have been a pioneer in it that so much of what you have developed has been from your own exploration, observation, and just years and years of working with people. It means you've been in the industry a long time and you're getting fairly old when you put it that way. No, but no, it didn't mean like old. It's just no, it's, it's, really old, Jane, but look, it's, it's so much experience. You know what's really, really hard is that when you have a passion for something, and, and you'll understand this as I hope will your listeners, listeners, when you have a passion for something, because the outcome isn't about you, you just want the best outcome you can have for the people you're working with. And what that generally means is, firstly, you've got to understand that you only know a very small amount. And I'm a very small chain, a very small link in a very big chain. 
So if you've got good health professionals, psychologists, business people, if you've got these people around you, I'm a big advocate in saying, let's use them. Because what worries me about what worries me about this industry and where we're going, as I said before, is authenticity. You know, when I do a workshop, when I do a mentorship, whatever we do as from ODM Movement, I'll show you videos and I'll show you videos of clients. Not of clients that come off YouTube, clients that we condition. And that's that's pretty cool because I'll show you an 85-year-old person who has a disease. I'll show you an 8-year-old child who's struggling with school. I'll show you a world-class athlete. Or I'll show you a mum who just wants to be able to pick her child up without having urinary incontinence. And that's, that's what I deem is the fact that through years of experience and of sharing with people like Tom or, or Michelle Delcourt or Chuck Wolf or, you know, all these people who have been amazing people who are still still asking the question about, you know, wow, what do I see or how do I, how do I change that? And we still on a daily basis get confused with what we can do for that person because there's so many extrinsic factors that make up the human being. So being a pioneer normally means that you're a bit different. Yep, that's me. Um, but I guess, I guess what's comforting now is that the pioneering phase is starting to dwindle and the acceptance phase is starting to climb. And what that really means for, for me and for ODL Movement is that the information is what, is what has driven our industry for so many years. And it will continue to, to do that. But now decision-making processes, we're becoming empowered to make a decision on what works for us. Or I can use a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And where before we had to follow a guru, we had to follow their philosophy. And the trouble with that is those people have an innate ability to be able to do amazing stuff. I'll never be able to do that stuff. But I don't want to do all that stuff because that's not how I see the world or the athlete or the person or myself. So I just try and say, okay, if, if from a hands-on perspective, if I can change tissue like this, I wonder how I can do it using some sort of tool. I wonder how I can take a person who probably needs some type of psychology work, realistically, how can I do that in a really non-invasive manner? And maybe we can do it by playing games. So if we, if we do that, what you're really doing is empowering the client to be able to take control of their life, not dictating. And, that, and this is where our industry has gone for many years of being, being the person who coaches the client all the way through. Now that's okay, but what happens when you're not there? So all of a sudden you go from a situation of leading to dictating. And dictation for me is, is not empowering. It's, it in fact drives people into fear. So if we can get the, the situation now where all of a sudden we can show people, we can give the people the experience, we can give them the confidence to take what we do and do it themselves, so that really what we become is the fine tuner. We become the people who now just allow them to get, become critiqued when they need to, to give them the outcomes that they need. It's amazing work you do, and I feel honored to have met you here. And I'm so I'm so grateful that Australia and the universe has you doing the kind of work you do. Thank you, Ian. Thanks, Julie. I hope you found Ian's story and perspective on the emotional factor in movement performance as thought-provoking as I did. 
I'd love to know what you thought about the conversation, so reach out and let me know if you tuned in. Whether it be a Facebook post, Instagram comment, tweet, or email, it really makes my day to hear from all of you and to know that these stories are a part of your life. If you've tuned into this podcast, you have an opinion about it and I want to hear it. So please head to iTunes and leave a star rating or written review of the Running on Own podcast. It would not only make my day, but also help increase the Running on Own podcast visibility in the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. Thank you so much for choosing to tune in to Running on Own. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.